Our God is an awesome God. So if you have a need this morning, please come to the front while we stand and while we sing. Never had that happen before. Hmm. Say it again. So if you have a need, come to the front as we stand and sing. What did I just do? Why don't you think about that? And then so. What did I just do? I'll tell you what I just did. I gave you an illustration that I want you to remember. I gave you an illustration that I truly hope you will remember, and here's why. How would you feel If you came to church, made the trip in, got up, got dressed, got prepared, got here, and that was the extent, I mean the total extent of the sermon. Just a couple of sentences, a mere mention or token, a couple of sentences, then moved on. Let me ask you, would you feel that you had given that particular act of worship It's due diligence and reverence in the eyes of God. Would you feel that you'd given that act of worship, that hearing a sermon, it's it's due diligence and reverence in the eyes of God? I certainly hope not. What about when it comes to singing? Are we commanded to sing? Well, yes, we know we're commanded to sing. As a congregation, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, Truly this morning, what if the song leader had gotten up front, song was up there, he led the first three words of one song, went sit down, job completed. Now, technically speaking, technically speaking, if he had led the first line and we had sung with him, would we have sung? Yes, we would have sung. We're commanded to sing. If he'd sung one line or three words, we would have fulfilled our act of worship of singing. But the question again, would we feel as though that we had given that act of worship its due reverence or diligence in the eyes of God? I almost sprang that on Eric this morning. I told him that in a phone call, have him get up front and lead one line and do basically what I did at the beginning of the lesson. Moving on. If the man leading our opening prayer every Sunday got up front and said, Dear God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you feel as though in your heart, even though technically speaking you would have prayed, would you truly consider that one line or two lines as spending quality time with God in prayer, quality, appreciative, thought-out prayer and reflection, would you? No, of course you wouldn't. Communion was wonderful this morning. 
I love the focus for me. For me, the part of worship that is the most meaningful personally is communion. And, and I love this morning how we, we really took some time and focused on that, but what if communion that we spent the entire sermon last week focusing on as well, what, was, what if, if communion were reduced to a mere at the end of services, oh yeah, and don't forget to, to eat your wafer and drink fruit juice before you leave the building. Would we consider that we had given that act of worship its proper due diligence and reverence in the eyes of God? Of course not. Of course not. However, through nobody's fault, nobody's intention, there are concerns amongst our leadership that perhaps due to necessitated COVID precautions previously put in place at the height of the pandemic, that perhaps we may very well have unintentionally, totally unintentionally, fallen into some sort of that same type of a surface, momentary, almost thoughtless execution of the fifth act of worship. The fifth act of worship which we see in the scriptures, which is our giving. Now, now let me just preface what I'm about to say with this. I want to be right up front. I, I have been asked to preach on this this morning in order to hopefully bring back a more purposed focus, a more prominent and appreciation reflective portion of our praise and adoration to God is expressed in our giving. But what I want to say right up front is this. This lesson is not about portion. I mean, most sermons on giving are about portion and, and all of that. That is not the center of our focus here. The center of our focus in this morning's lesson is on the sacred privilege. The sacred privilege that is yours and mine as Christians of giving to the kingdom of God. It is a sacred privilege that only we enjoy as we will talk about. And so let us begin this morning's lesson. The first thing that I want for us to understand about giving is that giving is the essence of what God himself is. God himself, at, at, his, at his heart, soul, and essence of, of everything he is and has done for us in Christ Jesus, everything that we come to worship and celebrate on Sunday mornings is because of God's giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's, that's what we're here for. Because God is a giver. In fact... Let us remember that God had to give everything before he could forgive anything. At the very heart and soul and center of forgiveness is the word given, F-O-R, given, E-S-S. -S. Second thing I'd like for us to pause and recall as we begin this morning is that giving is not only what God is all about, 
Giving is what our Lord Jesus Christ indeed is all about as well. It is the very essence at the very heart and soul of the existence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything he's done for us is all about giving, which shouldn't surprise us because he and the Father are one, John 17, 21 and 2. The reason we come and we worship every Sunday morning is once again, not only because God is all about giving, but because Jesus Christ is also all about giving. Steve this morning mentioned Matthew's account. Mark says in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Isn't that why we're here? Because Jesus gave. So God is all about giving. That's the essence of his nature. That's who he is. That's what he is. Jesus is the same way. But here's the thing. Not only are God and Jesus one in all things, including when it comes to their ultimate and infinite focus on giving, but as children of the living God, we are to be one with them. Isn't that what it says in John 17, 20 and 21, that we may be all be one in them, right? God's all about giving. That's his focus. Jesus all about giving. That was his focus in coming. We are to be one with God and Jesus. In our focus, focus, focus upon giving. So, we're going to begin this morning in the Old Testament as we talk about our need to really be focused on the practice of giving, to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and our God. And as we begin in the Old Testament, I first off want to take a moment and just ask this question. Have you ever noticed how many familiar stories, Bible stories, we teach them in Bible classes, we use them as reference points, but have you ever noticed how many familiar Bible stories of disaster and rejection came about as a direct result of somebody not having the proper focus or giving the serious proper attention to their giving? To God. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. Let that kind of process. Many familiar stories of people who were rejected center upon their lack of serious attention, proper focus, reverent consideration when it came to giving. For instance, Cain and Abel. Think about Cain and Abel. What was Cain's problem? Cain's Sacrifice was not accepted by God. Now, Abel's was. So apparently at some point, God had told them both what he wanted. Well, I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Cain's attitude was. But apparently, he didn't reverence God enough and think enough about and focus enough about and prioritize enough on giving God the proper glory by being obedient and giving God exactly what God had asked for. So the story of Cain and Abel boils down to a lack of proper focus on Cain's part on giving, not taking the time to truly consider, reverently focus upon, purpose to give God what God had asked for. What about a very familiar story, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu. They went out and they got fire that God had not authorized, God had not asked for. In their giving to God, in their in their service to God. They didn't give God the proper reverence. They didn't get the fire from where God said. Now, it wasn't that God had said, don't go over there and get it. 
It's just that when God had told them where to get it, that eliminated everywhere else. But they, I don't know if they had a casual attitude. I don't know what their problem was. But if they had been totally, pro, I can say this, totally properly focused. There we go. If they had been totally properly focused on giving to God that which he had asked for, reverencing him, focused on it, prioritized, purposed, that story probably wouldn't be in our Bibles. A couple of others to mention real quick. The people's giving to God in Isaiah 1, 10 through 20. I'm not going to turn there. But God basically told them, look, I don't want your sacrifices. I, don't, I, I hate your Sabbaths and your new moon assemblies because you are not living your life outside of worship the way you ought to be. So your gifts don't mean anything to me. Now, if they had the proper focus on giving and the proper priorities on giving God what he wanted, that would have included not only what they gave him in tithes and offerings and these celebrations, but it would have included their giving themselves to God other than just in their assemblies. Another one that comes to mind and a final one that I will just mention is found throughout the book of Malachi. You can start off in Malachi chapter 1. They are bringing God's sacrifices, the maimed, the lame, the throwaway, and God said, uh-uh. He said, give those to your governor and see if he'll receive them. He said, am I not a mighty God? Don't I deserve the best? But you see, the people were not purposed and focused on what a blessing and privilege it was to give to Almighty God. So they gave him their garbage. We see this throughout the book of Malachi in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in, in more references than I have time to go over this morning. And so we see that many of these very familiar stories center on just basically a lack of focus on giving. You know, we're giving to something eternal. Think about that. However, in reverse of, of those four instances I gave you, King David got it. King David got it. The man after God's own heart understood. He got it. What a blessed gift. What a blessed gift and truly sacred honor and privilege it was to give back to the great God and creator of the universe. In fact, the focus of giving was what one of the greatest celebrations in the Old Testament was all about. One of the greatest, most joyful, incredible, awesome celebrations ever recorded in the Old Testament was about giving, focus on giving. Now sure, there was prayer, we'll see this. There was praise, yes, there was thanksgiving, yes, but the focus, giving wasn't just kind of something left over that you do because you got to do it. Giving was the entire focus of this entire celebration. It was on the privilege which God's Old Testament people had been given and blessed by God with to give back to God. And I'm going to ask you to turn there. We're going to spend some time here. I want to show you what rejoicing is all about. And it's about giving and a, and a focus on it. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 29. Man, this chapter is packed full of joy. Didn't Jesus say in Acts 20, or as recorded in Acts 20 in verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That was not a new concept. I want to show you a joyous celebration. I want to show you a celebration that is so joyous the people almost can't contain themselves. It's all about giving. That's the focus. In 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 1. 
Furthermore, King David said to all of the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, this is David. Now, for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. Did David focus on his giving? He said, I, I prepared this and, and, and I, I focused on it. I'm, I'm ready for it. I have prepared with all my might. Gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Put together a load of marble slabs in abundance and you will find out what preparation and work is all about in your giving. David said, I've set all gold, silver, all this stuff. I have, I have, I've got this ready. I am prepared. I'm ready to give this to God. And then he says, that's just the beginning. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. I've got that highlighted in my Bible. David said, the reason, the reason for everything I'm about to tell you is because I am in love with the house of God. I have set my affection on the house of my God. Because I have done that, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. He said, everything I just said, I'm so in love with, with, with giving to God for this, this incredible temple that, that that's just the statue. Uh, listen, so much more than that, he says, I have prepared for the holy house my own special treasure of gold and silver. 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. The gold for things of gold, silver for things of silver, for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? David said, this is what I'm giving. I love God's house and this is what I'm giving. Who's with me? Well, it tells us, verse 6. Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work offered willingly, they gave. For the work of the house of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. That was not easy to come by in those days. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the Lord. Notice whoever into the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And you'd think, what's wrong with you? Not, not what's wrong with you people, but like you people giving all this stuff up, what a terrible sacrifice. This has got to make you miserable. You're giving away everything. No. Read the next verse. Look what it says. Then the people rejoiced. They understood that they were giving to build the house of God. And, and there was nothing any finer, and they were purposed, and they were focused. And so they rejoiced. What, what a great privilege and honor this was. The people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and the king also rejoiced greatly. Do you get the feeling there's a whole lot of rejoicing going on here? Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, watch this. Like I said, there's prayer, praise, and thanksgiving here too, folks. David is, is elated, he's happy, he's given everything he's got to give, not everything, but I mean, he's just given boatloads of stuff and the people have followed his example and, and everybody's rejoicing and he says, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. For yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. 
the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. You think David understood who he was given to? I think David knew exactly who he was given to. Yeah, he was given physical means, but not to a physical God in the sense of standing there in front of them. It says in verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. God, we're thanking you. Don't, don't miss this. We're thanking and praising you, God, because you have given us all this stuff which allows us the privilege of giving to your house. And that was the focus of this prayer. He says in verse 14, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. He said, look, none of this belongs to us anyway. But we're just so grateful to have the privilege and the opportunity and the blessing of giving back to you that which you could have taken anyway because it's all yours. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance we have prepared to build you. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house. For your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart... I have willingly offered all these things. David wasn't afraid to say it was because of his uprightness of heart, which he got from God anyway. He wasn't boasting. He was just making a point. And David says, and now with joy, there's that joy again, <laughs> I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent and the thoughts of your heart, of your people, and fix their heart toward you. Give my, heart, give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers, bowed their heads, and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. They worshiped. And watch this. They made sacrifices to the Lord. Well, wait a minute. They brought in, you know, truckloads of gold and silver and iron and bronze and wood and all this stuff. And, and now what are they doing? You know what they're doing now? They're sacrificing more. They're so happy they can't stand it. They made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the next day. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifice in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank before the Lord and they were so miserable. No, that's not what it says. They ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. They are so happy they can't stand it because they know who they're given to and they know what they're given to. And did you notice this? This isn't a, a mere, you know, 30 second mention and, and, and giving to God. They give all this stuff, and then what did it say? It says in verse 21, on the next day, they gave more. Their giving was not a 30-second mention at the end of the service, but a two, if not several-day celebration focusing upon two things. Don't miss the two things. Focusing upon God's gifts to them that allowed them to give gifts 
to God. It was at least a two-day celebration. Now, we can read several Old Testament chapters about the elaborate, intricate, extensive gold and silver of the temple, as you see in this cutaway view. And you can Google this online and find it. It's got all the information. It's got where the, I know you can't read it from there. I can't hardly read it from here. But it gives you this idea of, of just the splendor and the majesty, the gold and the silver furnishings and the wall coverings and the courtyard elements that would compromise Solomon's temple as we see here in, in this cutaway depiction. We would, if you want to read about this, and I, and I encourage you to do so, let me give you the chapters where you can read about, uh, you can read about such things as, as this sea, as they called, on the back of these oxen and these carts, and, and, and you can read about these pillars, and each one of these pillars is named, and you can read about the names of them and the height of them, and you can read these things in 1 Kings chapters 6 and 7, as well as 2 Chronicles 3, 4, and 5. And as you read through those five chapters and, and see the glory and the splendor of what these people were given to, you'll find out, once again, that a lot of attention is paid to these pillars. There was another one on the other side, as you'll see in a minute. To these carts, don't forget those. And to this sea, this bronze, this sea that's on the back of these oxen. And so... As we consider that, we can see why the day described in 1 Chronicles 29 that I read from so extensively was such an occasion for joy, such an occasion for rejoicing and worship and celebration as, as they focused on what their giving was going to lead to, possibly even picturing in their minds. Now, granted, the temple wasn't built that day. These people didn't see the end of it for years. But they could picture in their mind, and, and here's... One thing to take into account why they have, might have pictured some of this in their mind, before the events that I read in 1 Chronicles 29 where they gave to the building of this temple and all this gold and silver and, and all of that and the Ark of the Covenant where it's, where it's stationed up there, before they did that, God had actually given the plans to King David prior to their giving to this. David had the plans. We see that in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 11 through 19, where David says to Solomon, look, here's the plans that God gave me to build this thing. So the, the plan was already there. It was God's plan and God's design. So, yes, giving to the temple of God was a great privilege and honor for the people of God, and, and they made the most of it, as we saw in 1 Chronicles 29. They focused on it, didn't they? All that preparation, they focused on it, they were locked in on it, they fastened upon it, and they gave, and they rejoiced greatly because of it. But here's the thing. Despite their great giving and rejoicing and focusing on that, this temple of God which was built, this, this into which all that gold and silver and bronze went, the life of this temple would be relatively short-lived. Being destroyed about 370 years later is recorded in 2 Kings 25, wherein it says that King Nebuchadnezzar besieged and broke down the walls 
of Jerusalem. You can see the time frame there. That this thing only had a, a total life, as it were, of about 370 years. In fact, it says in 2 Kings 25, it says that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. This would be at the end here in 587. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great he burned with fire. That is in 2 Kings 25, verses 8 and 9, where he burned the house of the Lord. All of this was destroyed. Verses 13 through 17 of 2 Kings 25 go on to say, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea, remember when I pointed those out? The pillars and the, and the sea on the back of the oxen? It says the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the fire pans, the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver the captain of the guard took away. The Babylonians took, stripped this place, destroyed this place. Everything those people had given to, everything that those people had, had wanted to give to, to the glory of God, it only lasted about 370 years and it was all destroyed. It goes on to say, in verse 16 of 2 Kings 25, the two pillars, one sea and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits and the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits and the network and pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with the network. All of this, all of these and this is a depiction, obviously, but, but all of it was just anything that was worth anything was stripped, taken away by the enemies and stolen. And yet, and the people couldn't have known that the day in First Chronicles when they gave to it. But it was. But here's the beauty for you and me. Here is the absolute almost unbelievable beauty for you and I as New Testament children of the living God. As has been said many times, we have a better everything than God's Old Testament people did. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better everything. We can go through the book of Hebrews, but you've heard me tell this many times. And that also, that better that we have, includes the kingdom the house of our God that we give to the building of. We have a far more glorious building or temple of God that we give to the building of than they ever could have dreamt of, even with all that gold and silver and earthly things. You see, in accordance with God's promise, this kingdom that you and I are part of, this kingdom, this, this church, this collection of saved souls known as the Church of Christ, which is constantly being built one spiritual soul and brick at a time, one upon another, to the glory of God, as more and more souls are brought to and are found and sifted out and brought to God. That's what you and I get to give to. That's what we give to each Sunday. But unlike that temporary temple, that was destroyed 370 years later, what you and I give to will never be destroyed. Do we understand that? We get to give to something eternal. 
The house which we give to the building of, the house of the Lord's church, not the building, but the people, the, the bringing in new converts and the discipling and the training of those who are converts, this kingdom that, that we give to. No, no Babylonian king, no dictator, no emperor, no president, no sheik. Nobody can destroy this kingdom. Nobody's coming in and, and demolish this thing. We have that straight from Daniel chapter 2. We have it from Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. His kingdom would stand forever. Isn't that right? Luke chapter 1, verses 25 through 33. Jesus came to establish and reign over a kingdom that would never be destroyed. He told Peter in, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, that the gates of Hades would not overcome it. Daniel 2 had prophesied this kingdom would have no end. And on and on we go. So, so knowing that what we give to will not have, you know, the church, if this was the church, this could say 33 AD, slash, and there'd be nothing there. You know, like when somebody buys a headstone that's still living and they don't put the ending date in there, guess what? There's never going to be an ending date on the kingdom of God. And so we get to give to something Eternal. So the question then arises, shouldn't we therefore be even more focused upon? Shouldn't we be more honed in? Shouldn't we be even more joyful and elated to give to the building of the church, the house of God, the pillar and support of the truth, than they ever were to give to that physical building? And I'm not talking, don't, don't get into the whole amount thing. Just think about the privilege of giving. What you give is between you and God. That's what scripture says, and that's not where I'm going with this. But the privilege, if they were that happy for the privilege to give to God for that, how much more joy and rejoicing should we have in a focus upon giving to the building of this? I'll tell you what, our first century brethren in Macedonia understood that. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They understood what they were given to. They understood the privilege. They would not be, even in their extreme poverty, denied the privilege of thinking about, focusing upon, and giving to building the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and following. Moreover, brethren... We make known to you the grace of God. Folks, it's all about the grace of God. When you understand what God has given to you, you can't help but focus on giving back to God of yourself, of, of every facet of your being. We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Here we go. Doesn't that sound a lot like First Chronicles? The abundance, they're in a mess. We think we're in a mess these days with, with some of the things going on in our world. And I'm not saying we're not. But if you go back and study what the Macedonians were under, they would love to be you and me. They were in the middle of this great trial of affliction. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. They got it. They didn't have, they didn't have anything. And yet they begged Paul and they said to Paul, they said, please, 
Please let us give to the saints. We, we understand what we're building. And so they implored us with much urgency that we would take the money from them. What, what, and they had nothing to give, but, but whatever it was, they begged us to take it. What causes people to do that? You got nothing, and yet you scrape together something to give to God, and you beg God to take it. Oh yeah, he told us in verse 6, verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first, there's our word again, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Paul says, they understood what God had given to them, so they gave their entire selves to God. And brethren, when you give your entire self to God, it's not about just the offering. That's so small a part of it. It's about giving yourself to God. Your hopes, your dreams, your future, your thoughts, everything. Your life. But included in that is this focus upon, I always want to be a giver to God. I, I never want to lose sight of, of giving to God. Even when I can't, I want to give to God because I'm building something eternal, something that is so much more splendid splendor-filled than, than that, that physical building. And, and certainly our opportunity, our privilege to give ought to be cause for rejoicing when we stop and consider what we're building and who we're building it to. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look here beginning in verse 7. Look what he says. Again, this focus. He says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you see cheer again? Do you see joy again? Every time we come across this idea of giving, we see joy because people understood what they were given to. And, and like I said, what you give is between you and God. But God wants it cheerful. God had rather put, have you put a dime in the offering plate and be happy you got a dime to give than he had to put a $1,000 bill in there and be grudging about it. He had. He'd rather see a dime from a saint who wants to put one in than he had a $1,000 bill from a saint who don't want to put one in. Every time. God loves a cheerful giver. It's not about the how much, it's about the what, it's about the attitude. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I can't outgive God. God is always giving. I'm giving back to God, and God will make sure I got plenty to give back to him. Just like in 1 Chronicles 29. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown, notice what they had given, and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. There's happiness in this giving and watching God give back. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Here we go again. These people are just too happy. <laughs> not really. They're happy because they have the privilege, the honor of giving to something eternal. Giving back to the God who gave everything for them. It's a focus. That's the point. While through the proof of this ministry, verse 13, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. 
Does the Bible have liberals in it? Yes, it does. We are to be liberal sharers. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here we go again. There's grace involved in giving. There's thanksgiving involved in giving. There's indescribable gifts in giving. One final note. It's actually interesting to me. We understand that one of the primary, one of the, one of the acts of worship that we devote a lot of time to, and rightly, rightly so, rightly so. Obviously, as I said, it, it's my most reverent, uh, humble connection time with God is communion, but that act of worship, one of the reasons we do it each first day of the week is because the Bible says in Acts 20 and verse seven that it's to be done on the first day of the week. We have that precedent in the scriptures. But did you know that same phraseology on the first day of the week is also used in connection with that act of worship called giving? It's the same phraseology, which suggests to me that one is as important as the other, or at least that they're both to be done at the same time with a proper focus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Verses 1 and 2, concerning the collection for the saints, if I, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do on the first day of the week. Let each of you put something aside. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, there is an act of worship which we are to perform because of what God has given us on the first day of the week. Conversely, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, there is an act of worship that we are to perform on the same day of the on the first day of the week about what we can give to God. What God has given to us, first day of the week celebration. What we give to God, first day of the week celebration. Let me tell you what a privilege it is to focus on giving. Do you know that's a privilege that belongs only to you? Do you understand that? Do you understand that God is given this privilege of giving to the growth of the kingdom only to you. Those who are members of it. Remember what Paul just, we just let me say this again. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. Paul says, these are instructions for the church. I, did, I gave this instruction to the churches of Galatia. Now you, church in Corinth, you've got to do the same thing. When it comes to the collection of the saints on the first day of the week, that is for Christians only. This is why we tell guests. Don't put anything in the offering plate. It is not up to the world to support the church. This is why we don't have bake sales. This is why we don't have car washes. We're not a civic group. When God established the church, he gave the privilege of supporting that church only to those who are members of it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Only saints can fully understand when they take communion what it's all about, those who've had their sins forgiven by what that cup represents, right? Only the saints can fully appreciate what that cup represents. It's a privilege. In the same way, our giving is a privilege that is reserved only for Christians to give to God 
and the continual growth of this spiritual New Testament house, this kingdom, this church of Christ, which will have no end. Nobody's going to tear this thing down. Aren't you glad? We're going to focus right now on the privilege that's ours alone to support God's house. Would you all please pray with me? Our most righteous, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name today. Father, we are just so blessed as a, as a, as a congregation, as a child of Christ. Father, the things and the blessings that you give us each and every day, Father, we just want to say thank you for those things. Father, you have gave us a, a, a congregation. Father, you gave us brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, you have given us our jobs that we have and, and the clothes on our back. Father, you have given us our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren. Father, we need to recognize each and every day that everything that we have comes from you. Father, and in return, we should give to others. We should be giving to our congregation. We should be giving to our jobs and our children and our families and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, Father, everything that you've given us, we should be able to give to others. And Father, today we just want to recognize that we can't do this without you. Father, your kingdom is our kingdom. And Father, we need to treat it and be stewards of such. Father, today, I just ask that each and every one of us give with a cheerful heart. And not just monetary, but each person that we come in contact, in our families, in our brothers and sisters, we just look to give to with a cheerful heart to them as well. Father, we know that we can't do this without you. So, Father, give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom that we need each and every day. Because, Father, we are all in this together. Father, you gave us all, and so should we. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said very early on in that lesson, God is a giver. He gave his only begotten son to pay for the sins and the crimes that you and I have committed. Jesus came, God in the flesh. He came to give his life, as he said, a ransom for many. Jesus paid 
for our sins on the cross. It is a free gift. Cost God everything, cost you nothing except the old man of sin. It's a gift that you have to accept for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, it says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And as a gift, you have to receive it. You have to determine that I'm going to take, I'm going to accept God's gift of forgiveness. And you have to accept the gift under God, the giver's terms. And those terms are that you have heard the gospel, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you are willing to confess him, that you are willing to repent and turn to God, and that you are willing to be baptized into Christ specifically for the forgiveness of your sins. That is the giver's requirements. They are unchangeable. They are unalterable. This morning, after all that God has given for you in Christ and all that Christ has given for you, why not give yourself to him? Why not wash away that old man of sin in the waters of Christian baptism? Let him forgive you. And then move forward in a life that is devoted, that is dedicated to giving yourself daily to the will of God. Great place to be, right church? Amen. If you've already done that, but you're looking at your life and saying, you know what, I, I didn't fully give God everything. I, I, didn't, I didn't give him this sin, or I didn't give him this state of mind, or I didn't give him this bad practice. I, I've got I've to have the prayers of the church to be stronger, to, to really surrender those things, to give those things up to God. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you in any way we can. 